Welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. We, uh, we reached a new milestone today. We got our first wrestler on the show. And not only a wrestler, but an incredibly inspiring wrestler by the name of Effie. He is, uh, I guess, Florida-based still. Originally from South Carolina, but his, his wrestling career kind of blossomed when he moved to Florida. Um, I, I think he's recently moved to Atlanta. Yeah, that's right, right. That's it's cool. hard to keep keep tabs, but uh, yeah, Effie is this iconic figure within and within his uh, you know the world of of sort of DIY wrestling. But he's also you know aside from just being an incredibly talented wrestler, he's been this great voice for the queer community and. Uh, there's this performance art side to what he does, and he's really not scared to stir the pot in what can at times be a bit of a overly masculine kind of aggro environment. I think he, he likes to go in there and say, I, you know, I, I dare you to, to question whether or not I'm going to open up a can of whoop-ass in this room. <laughs> and as soon as they do, he shuts them down real damn quick. Um, but he's awesome. I mean, and he's got this amazing following of, of, of supporters who just really love what he's doing. And I met him in college, and we were both in a short film that a, that a friend was making, and he just was ad-libbing during the film, and I remember just thinking he was hilarious. So this was way before I ever knew that he was interested in wrestling, and and since then, he's kind of blown up in the in the wrestling scene. I mean, he's he's definitely like a very well known name in that scene, and uh, he's given me a lot of reason to want to to get myself better acquainted with the world of wrestling because it's definitely an art form, and I think that his particular take on it is extremely unique. And uh, I just can't say enough positive things about him. It was great getting him on the show and, and getting somebody a little bit out of that music world, um, which he has a rich history with music as well, so there's some crossover. But, you know, I think sometimes people listen to our show and think that we're a, a music podcast, understandably so, but, you know, we're really about creative minds and, and go-getters in general. Um, yeah, any kind of art you can do, we're interested in. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. We got to talk about... All sorts of things. I was really excited to talk to him a bit about Andy Kaufman and the performance art side of, of some of wrestling and just a lot of things that uh, that he was able to riff on well. And yeah, it was it was a really great chat. So, but we'll let let the interview speak for itself, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and this is our episode with the legendary Effie. finished up in college, I went back to working at a moving company. I like didn't have a job 
I had my public relations degree, and then I got offered a position to run a moving company in Florida, and I was like, well, I'm literally not doing anything else. So I took that, and for the first year of that, I straight up was, I was just getting fucked up. I had money for the first time, like real money. I could buy real booze. I could buy pills. I could buy Coke. I could buy anything I wanted. I was in a college town in Florida, and I got wild. And then I took way too much acid and had to sober up. Like I sobered up completely, and I had all this energy and rage and stuff that had been poured into partying, and I had a bunch of extra money now because I wasn't spending it on that. And I sort of had this vision while I was on acid, and I've told this story a little bit, but it's, it was sort of the vision of like, where is the glass ceiling? Not necessarily the one we usually think of, but like there is a divide between the people who are, you know, super famous for doing things like pro wrestling or, or acting or comedy or bands and sort of people who are doing it at that amateur level. Like where does that break happen? And is it even possible to break through that? And it really fucked with my brain. So I was like, well, there's only one way to find out. And I had been a wrestling fan my whole life, you know, you take a break a little bit through high school somewhat, but I remember being in middle school and watching it heavily. I remember being in college and Adam Siler and like kind of gaming back into it because he started pulling up torrents of all this old Japanese wrestling. And we would watch that stuff and get stoned and it was great. So I, I had it in the back of my head and I was like, look, I've, I had tried stand up comedy. I, had, you know, messed around with little short films. I'd messed with bands. I had, you know, done a bunch of weird stuff, but there was always sort of a restriction there in my, for me, in what I was capable of doing. And with professional wrestling, there are rules to professional wrestling, but for the most part, depending on who you're in there with, it can be as improvisational or as not improvisational as you want. You get to tell the stories you want. You're not going to be, you know, bunkered down, you know, by the creative process, especially in the independent wrestling level. There's so much you get to do that is, sort of freedom so i mean when i said okay well if it's possible to get it done let's find out and let's do it ourselves i literally reached out to a guy uh named white trash fred who trained me in a field so like for the first eight to nine months i was driving three hours round trip every weekend to just go wrestle outdoors in florida you know it's 110 degrees in an outdoor ring where like you know it smelled bad and sometimes it would rain and it was not well put together and just like immerse myself in it. And then I kind of realized I didn't take the traditional route of going to a three, $4,000 school. I mean, it's the same as anything else in school. You can go to improv school. You can go to wrestling school. I didn't really go to a real school. So I started just kind of having to lie my way into getting booked. And luckily a lot of that improv, like even during my years when I was greener, being able to sort of improv on my head made me a more valuable performer to people. And like it spread. And now like, Obviously, it's it's fun to take a little bit of a pause. It sucks the reason we have to do it, but it's good to look at what you've done because for a while it was nonstop. I mean, from 2018 to 2019, it was every weekend. I was all over the country. I was flying in and out all the time, and I was working full time. So I was just like too exhausted to even think about what I'd been able to accomplish going from working like, okay, here's a shitty show. We're going to pay you $40 and do your best to being able to make a living doing it and traveling and being a draw in places. And you're sort of like, damn, okay, this is actually possible. And now during this pause period, I get to sort of lean back and look at everything and go, what's the next step. And I don't know without that pause, if I would have had the time to like look at it or if I would have just kept going and both are probably good things. Um, but it is nice that my back and neck don't hurt so fucking much anymore. Yeah. I mean, your body could use a break and, and your mind too, man. I mean, the, it gives you a little bit of clarity having a, that, like you said, that sort of 
So it might be, uh, you know, it's definitely not a great context, but uh, it is, you know, a fresh perspective to have and where you don't have the option of, of hitting it nonstop. So you kind of put right. everything that you've done over the past few years into perspective and gives you an opportunity to think about where to to build from that and, and new ways to go about building on top of what you've already and, well, done. Well, and I think about it this way too, like I've been sore for six years. Like I've been purposefully sore because I'm throwing my body at the ground over and over for six years. And being able to not feel that soreness now, you would think you'd be so pumped about it. But there was something that when I became sober and something about there's sort of a, a self-inflicted pain with wrestling, obviously, because, you know, people can say it's fake, but the stuff we do, you feel it. You get used to it, oh, yeah. but you feel it. Not having that sort of, like, violence in my life, I have an itch for it now. I'm like, can you just hit me in the chest? Can you just punch me in the face? And so that's like a new tactic after almost seven years of being sober where I'm having to, like, rethink where I'm at and rethink, like, okay, how much of this was I using to just cope through things? And how much of this is just something that I'm allowed to like? And so I've kind of had to reflect on that and say, like, hey, it's probably not normal that you want people to hit you. But if you're going to stay in this line of work, you need to figure out how to, like, you know, not not treat it that way. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so in that reflection, have you kind of come to any conclusions about, you know, new angles for channeling that, that itch that needs to be scratched in times when you don't get to just beat up on someone yeah, and get beat of- up on? I sort of tried to turn it a little bit inward, which I know sounds kind of cheesy, but, and, and sort of using like any frustrations I feel or any like upwards, because I got that release every week. I would get that release of getting to throw a human around or punch a human or break a piece of glass over a human's face or have them break stuff over me or have them throw me. And now it's me and I'm trying to use it to motivate myself. And so like being more yoga and working out and running and, taking the dog out and being more physically active when I can now, because I have the time to do it versus my physical activity was, all right, I got to slum it through the gym today and then I got to get ready to wrestle and I can't go too hard doing anything. Cause let's say I like go big on a bench press and tear something. Well, now I'm out for weeks and now I have money and now I'm letting all these companies down. So there's even the caution of working out that is out the window right now because I can take the risks and I can push myself and I can take that normal frustration that I would be taking out on other people or myself through getting thrown around and turn it into something positive that will end up actually helping me when this wrestling comes back. Because wrestling is going to come back and there's going to be a lot of people who are not in the shape to be wrestling. And that's, it's silly and it's funny, but it's also like super fucking dangerous because we're putting our lives in your hands to safely do stuff to us as safely as possible. And if you're not there with your, you know, You'll see at the end of a match, if you watch the end of a match, these guys are like sweating and breathing heavy. And it took me a while to figure it out, but they're not sweating and breathing heavy because they're really worn out. They're sweating and breathing heavy because they're acting the part of a play. So you're going to have guys that come back to this who haven't been doing any kind of cardio, who haven't been keeping their body right, who haven't been trying to rehab themselves. And they're actually going to be real fucked up and tired at the end versus letting that be a part of your storytelling. And that's what, that's dangerous. So I'm a little nervous about that, but I think I'll be probably in better shape than I have been in years. Yeah, well, yeah, that's awesome that you're staying at it. I, I think there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, you know, I guess with anybody who's got a creative outlet, uh, you know, obviously the the outlet of wrestling is 
uh, pretty different than music in a lot of ways, but similarly, I guess in the past year or so, I kind of realized just how much importance and uh, influence each show has on my general happiness and kind of thought, you know, that, you know, I like that that motivates me to play and, and stay active as a musician, but also sometimes I put too much, uh, or let that have too much influence, so then, you know, when the times when you're not gigging as much, you just can find yourself in a mental slump. So uh, I've been actively thinking similarly about, like, outside of the what I'm used to being the thing that scratches that itch for me, what can what can kind of bring you that happiness and I think that's kind of where the part of what motivated us to get this podcast going was something that's kind of just a side. Well, yeah, I think there's sort of a, there's a shift of the serotonin where we're not used to having this much. We're not used to having to have this much satisfaction from digital art, but we are sort of forced into that corner and now we're trying to make do with it. Like, I see all these people doing like like drag queens doing drag shows that are these live big online drag shows. Everyone's together in these chat rooms, and in a way, it feels like you're kind of in this community the same way you would be at a club or a venue. And we're all sort of in there together. The entertainer is still getting to perform; they're still doing their thing. It's not something we would have deemed normal a while ago, but there's sort of the normalization of it isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I don't think it's going to keep people from going back out to live events. But I think right now, like for our own mental health having those outlets of a new digital entertainment has been really great. And whether that be podcasts or online chats, or I've even seen people, you know, you'll get a hundred people logging in together to do zoom trivia together. Those are all like, those are our valid entertainments. Now we're not going out to bar trivia. We're not going to shows. We have to sort of find our way into that. I got really into Twitch lately, which is I never would have thought. And it's super crazy because people are just watching you live. You can interact with everyone and, they really enjoy it because it's like, it's another side of me. They don't usually get to see if I'm at a show, I might say hi to you or speak to you for like three minutes. If you're on Twitter, I might like respond to something, but in this, you've got my attention. I'm here. I say, Hey, I'm going to be here for two hours. Come talk to me. We'll talk about whatever you want. And that's like a new experience that like, I wouldn't have had the time to do before, but it's really helped me sort of connect better with the fans that were already there and show myself to a new audience in a time where I'm not, necessarily doing what i'd normally do which is wrestle right yeah i mean yeah we're lucky that i mean imagine if this was 30 years ago you know we'd all be bored out of our skulls without you know the you know the internet well, even without the human contact like yeah, i right. know it's not real contact but you'd be sort of just stuck in your house right yep i know man it's uh it, it makes all the difference in the world being able to connect in whatever way you can um but yeah, man, to, to backpedal just a little bit, I was, you know, I was wondering because the, you know, the the DIY side of of wrestling is pretty foreign to me, like the ins and outs of it, um, and the only kind of touch point that I think may, might be a, a a good comparison or just something to to compare it to might be your time in the DIY tour circuit with music, like, did, did those two paths kind of have some similarities, and did they kind of inform you, like, one inform the other? Definitely. And I would say there are some key differences about it that I, like, really enjoy, and there are some things I miss out on, too, which is, like, as a wrestler, all my traveling is done solo, for the most part. Like, I'll occasionally have someone else in the car with me, or I'll occasionally see somebody in the airport who I know, but for the most part, like, 
there's an 11 hour portion of my day or weekend that's going to be just traveling by myself, listening to music, listening to podcasts. I might not even speak to a person until I get picked up somewhere or until I get to a venue, which is crazy because when you're in that music world, you're constantly around each other. You're touring as a group, you're a unit, and that makes things harder in a way, but it's also there's an experience to the tour part that comes from being um, out on the road together and having those shared experiences that you know the other people at the wrestling shows are doing those travels, but when they're not necessarily next to you, you don't really care. You, you have a guy rolling and you go, where'd you come from? And he goes, oh, we just drove, you know, 10 hours from Iowa, you know? And you go, oh man, like I, I can empathize with that, but I can't like, I don't, I wasn't there with you. We didn't have those moments. We didn't stop at those rest areas together. We didn't joke and be behind that building together. Like just stupid stuff like that. There's that big difference. But the other side of it is, we're not necessarily locked into anything. Like I know a band practices together, they play their set together, but a lot of times I'm getting to a venue and it may be somebody I've never even met before that I'm wrestling in two hours and we'll go, all right, well, what do you do? And I'll go, well, what do I do? And what do you do? We'll put it together the chance every night to put together a story, basically to put together a one act play on our own with people saying, you know, we trust you creatively to handle this. Here's, here's the basics of what we want. You know, we want this person to win or we want this time, we want this way to happen. But for the most part, we're filling in this time with what we want. So it's, you're in such a creative flow because you're constantly creating these new stories. And obviously they're within the world of wrestling, but there's nothing that says it can't sort of extend a little bit outside of that. And that's so gratifying to not be stuck in any sort of loop when I'm going to do this because I really don't know how my weekends are going to go. I might know who I'm facing, but I can't tell you how it's going to go. I can't tell you, you know, we're, we're expecting to play this song and this song. I just know that we're going in there and we're going to wrestle. And our job is to make sure that people leave satisfied for paying for entertainment. Right, yeah. I mean, it's like the the music equivalent would be like as if you're like this uh, this like solo jazz artist that travels town to town and plays with a different band every night. And sometimes you yeah. play standards, sometimes you just improvise uh, depending on the room, you know? It's kind of... I mean that's exciting, you know. It keeps you on your toes every night. It's a new experience. You're not, you don't, uh, you know, like you know, as a band, you, you're touring, and by the end of it, you're so burnt out on the set. Well, you don't have that issue because you're you're having a new experience every single night. Um, as far as yeah. the wrestling side yeah. of it is concerned, yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, I can only imagine that that's been a really rewarding experience for you. Um, what I know that uh, you know, obviously. To, or at least from an outside perspective, the wrestling world can be seen as this like somewhat hyper masculine world. Uh, do you have like, I, I guess you know, have have you had as unique of an experience as I would imagine you would have? What with Effie being this character that isn't, uh, you know, it isn't exactly like every other character you've seen uh, in the in the world of wrestling you're you know embracing uh your sexuality as part of your character in a world where you know maybe 20 years ago that might not have been nearly as accepted as it is unfortunately um yeah that it sort of came naturally the shift in that because when i started it was all super hyper-masculine, very Southern wrestling shows, redneck people, very hard red South, um, very against me. And I would get those bookings because 
number one, I was an okay wrestler, but number two, I could really get heat by just being a big gay version of myself. And as that happened, and as I was sort of authentically just like being myself out there and just kind of being a dick and being a piece of shit and knowing I could piss off rednecks, these little pockets of people sort of started appearing and saying, you know, we heard about you, you know, we're, we're LGBTQ identifying too. You know, we wanted to come here. We knew you would be here. And so out of this exact same character who was so sarcastic and smarmy and fights the power and talks shit and is very gay and aggressive and in your face about it, um, it, it sort of became me being this bad guy to going, okay, well, maybe it's not necessarily bad guys. And maybe there's just certain people that I'm a good person for. And maybe there's certain people I'm a bad person for. And when that started to pick up, I started finding about all this wrestling that was happening that was queer identifying and did celebrate people of color and did celebrate women athletes. And so as my reputation grew, I sort of found myself into these spots where I didn't have to worry about being judged as a negative character anymore because I was bringing people in who were not necessarily wrestling fans. I was bringing people in who were not necessarily, you know, big WWE fans. They were just sort of people who were like, wait, there's a gay pro wrestler. We got to go see it. And I'm not saying I'm the only one, but it did help build up that, that sort of um, openness in wrestling. And now it's like, I look back at my schedule over the previous months. I don't think there's any show I worked at where I would think anybody would say anything homophobic at me. And I got paid better than I did being an asshole to, you know, Republicans. So it's worked out really well. And there's sort of a path for everybody in wrestling. And I think people forget like this wrestling is literally all around you. It's the same thing with shows. If you made the effort and wanted to go see wrestling, you can go see cheap wrestling. It is less than an hour from your house. It will happen probably once a month. Once things happen again, but there's that level of wrestling and there's these different types of wrestling. And sometimes it all gets lumped together. But to me, there's so many different versions of it that like you might've gone to a wrestling show and had a terrible time, but you might've gone to this wrestling show and had the best time of your life just because of who the performers were, who the owners were. And there seems to be a real effort to bring pro wrestling more into today's age. And there's a lot of people now who are seeing the WWE may not be the end all be all. They work with Saudi Arabia. They don't have a great historic racial record. They don't have a great record of, you know, supporting LGBTQ issues and they're still doing stuff with the Trump administration. And a lot of people are going, I can make a living at this, doing this as a job without their help. And there's never been a time like that before because there's never been this array of wrestling and it seems to be growing every day. And it's like when people tell me like, Oh, I didn't even know wrestling was happening. It blows my mind because I'm so in the middle of it, but it tells me how far we have to go in advertising and getting people back in who aren't necessarily hardcore wrestling fans, how do we get them in the door? And I truly believe that when they attend a live wrestling show, when you watch TV wrestling, it's really easy to point shit out that looks fake because you're, you're toned to do that. It's giving you the best HD angles. But when you're in the middle of the fucking storm and everybody's screaming and there's weapons and there's craziness happening and people are all over the place, live wrestling is so chaotic that like I don't see how you wouldn't enjoy it if you came into it. It's a great time. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing, man. And I'm glad to hear that that you're bringing new faces out and that there's this kind of new context to the to the world of 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 DIY independent wrestling in that, you know, it's, it's not, like you said, it's not just the WWE crowd that's, you know, there's this, this new angle. Um, but I guess, you know, and you, you, you kind of spoke on it earlier, like yeah, the thing that I would have feared because, you know, you know, obviously wrestling has a much bigger reach than just the, you know, 
I think a lot of people who are naive think, oh yeah, that's, you know, like you were saying, there's just a ton of rednecks and, and, and country folk who, who get into it, but it's way beyond that. But that's, that is a, a huge part of the demographic is, you know, some, some people who fit that profile. Um, and I, you know, not, not even that long ago, I could, I can only imagine that it was a pretty homophobic atmosphere. And I think my fear would be, like you said, that being this, like in their eyes, this polarizing figure could have led to being branded as, as sort of a villain within the, the storyline of, of that scene. And it seems like, like you were saying, you've been able to break out of that and you're the you're the hero for some and and the villain for others depending on the plot of that that given story which is which is the case for which is the case for most wrestlers right so i feel like that's that's cool that you want the exclusive scoop i'm gonna give you i've never told this story before Ella. tell me man this is a real story that happened to me so i was hosting my own event this year wrestlemania weekend was happening in tampa florida and usually about 100,000 wrestling fans come in for WrestleMania weekend. But there's also a lot of independent shows because there's already a ton of wrestling fans there, so they can come see the independent shows too. So I was running my own independent show called Effie's Big Gay Brunch. And it was a morning show on Saturday. We're doing a brunch early. Uh, we're doing the show at 11. People can get on with their days. It's going to be a big gay celebration. And I posted a video online that's because I was getting a lot of heat from people and they were saying fucked up shit. And I just said, look, I said, if you come to my event and you're homophobic or you harass people, I'm going to beat your ass in the streets. I'm going to beat your ass in the streets, point blank. And I knew it would be controversial. Wrestling is controversial. But I didn't, what I didn't know was um, I got a call from the Tampa Sheriff's Department about a week after that. Whoa. And they said, uh, hey, uh, you know, is this Effie? Is this? Uh, Taylor Gibson. I said, yeah, this is, this is Effie. I said, what's going on? They said, well, you posted that video. I said, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I thought it would be, you know, in care. They said, we're not worried about the video. Uh, you've had three threats on the event that have been sent into the venue. Someone threatened to shoot me when I got in the ring. Someone threatened to bomb the place and someone threatened to just come shoot people. And I was like, holy shit. And so they started a second degree felony investigation of domestic terrorism against whoever was doing this. And it's like, for me to host this event that's like for gay people and lesbians and trans people and celebrating the talent within that community and bringing out people that people may not have heard before that they're going to become huge fans of, um, there was aggression before I said it, there was aggression after I said it, and it's like, as much as you want to believe we're getting past things, uh, crazy shit like this still happens, and like... I, I sort of I had to keep quiet on it, but I, I doubt it's an issue anymore because the event was canceled because of the coronavirus, and hopefully we'll get back to that and set that up soon enough. But like this stuff is still out there, no matter how deep you think you're in the funny circle of like acceptance with your community, uh, there's still people willing to be crazy. So you still have to be a little careful. Sometimes I, I get a little too comfortable. Wow, man, that is insane to hear. Uh, I mean, uh, God, that's that's such a, a complicated thing to have to to prepare yourself for mentally i mean you're trying to go out there and and wrestle and, well, it's like and i'm a used great event. To, i'm used to getting people heated right like i i can do that i can get people behind me i can get people that get heat on me i can make people like me or hate me and it's like that's the curse of pro wrestling it's like you just start to know in situations when you're like i could just make this person hate me or i could just i could fix the situation make their day and 
So as you lean in and you want more people to come to the show or hear about the show and you want to put a little controversial thing out because it's pro wrestling, you realize that there's like real world consequences sometimes and people are still super like IRL butthurt about people being gay or people being gay out loud so much so that they'll like take time out of their day to threaten bombs, you know? Yeah, it's just batshit crazy and backwards to mm-hmm. say the least, but... Well, I mean, so I mean, obviously, that's an example of, of 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 one side of the coin. Have you experienced like the the more positive side of that? Have you have you encountered people who may have had that backwards thinking or been you know less accepting of the LGBTQ community that maybe after seeing some of uh, some of your performances or other. Uh, queer wrestlers performing kind of maybe their perspectives have started to change have you experienced anything along those lines yeah i think so it really started at a lot of those southern ass shows because you know they're rednecks and they vote red but like at the end of the day they're wrestling fans so they can't really deny you if you're good at wrestling and what i started to notice was like i was getting booked on these shows in my first couple of years and not getting paid shit but i was making a fuck ton of money in merchandise and what i would notice is like these kids wanted the merch. These teens wanted the merch. These parents had to pay for the merch. And these parents didn't necessarily like me. And so as they sort of came up to me, and I'm being nice and friendly and meeting people at the table and hanging out, and they're having to give me $20, give the $20 to the gay man because it's the only shirt that their kid wants, um, they start to change their tune a little bit. And even people who've like yelled homophobic stuff at me, and I've yelled right back at them because I'm kind of a, a, a tongue friend. Um, they come around eventually too. So you see it when you can like turn these people who like just think they would hate you and you're not even educating them. You're literally just showing them like, Hey, a gay person is also a good wrestler. And if you're getting worked, you know, by a heel, then you're getting worked by a heel. You know what I mean? Like, sorry, the gayness is making you mad, but you're getting worked and I'm, I'm doing my job effectively. And they said something sort of clicks in their brain. Um, and they kind of come around to it. And obviously not everybody does, but there's been a lot of people who sort of changed that look. And like, even people who like, I wouldn't expect to show up at other shows. Like I thought were these redneck people. And like, I had my thoughts just because of how they looked or acted, uh, would show up and follow and say, Oh, we're huge fans. You know, I, I still talked to a guy in North Carolina who I thought hated me. And he was like, no, I'm just a huge fan. And I was like, this is crazy because you don't seem like someone who would be a huge fan, but that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's cool to to hear the the more positive side of that uh, that experience and seeing people, you know, like you said, they they're calling it like it is a great wrestler, and it might make them think, well, you know, I don't know, just make them take a second look at their own preconceived yeah. notions about people. Well, and I'm I'm also still kind of you know we still fight it within the industry too and yeah, like last year there was a pay per view done that was like it was a Pride pay per view and it was a live celebration it's typically a women's company but they wanted to do like a gay show for Pride and I said let me let me crash the show I said don't announce me for the show let me crash it and so there was a lot of people saying you know oh well why isn't that being announced for the show is that going to be the show I had other bookings that weekend I was like good but I show up I wreck one of the matches and I start cutting this promo that says look. I'm so fucking over and I'm so booked all the time that I can say whatever I want. I said, this shit is great. I'm glad y'all are having a gay show, but if it doesn't continue year round, and if I don't see more representation in other companies, I'll come for you because I don't have anything to lose. I already have money. I already have bookings. I already have merchandise money. 
it's not going to affect me. But the people upstairs that you book today that you won't book next month and you won't book them the month after or the year after until you need them for your prize show won't say anything because they're happy to be booked and they should be booked more. And the company didn't really even know what the promo I was going to do was and we were live. And so it was like, it really, they were not happy with me when I left the ring and left the microphone. But then the next day, everybody sort of started responding to it and they were like, oh shit, you said what you needed to say. And it seemed to make a little bit of a wave, but we're still kind of fighting that idea of like, yeah, we know these basic cis hetero guys are great at wrestling, but these people are just as great at wrestling and you haven't given them any consideration. They might even be better than them at professional wrestling and you won't give them any consideration. And it's not fair that mediocre talent gets to keep continuing just because they identify a certain way and great talent gets overlooked. And so we're still fighting that even beyond just like fan perception, but still business perception. I mean, WWE has LGBTQ hires right now and they won't say on screen, this person is gay. This person is a lesbian. They won't recognize it. They'll put a rainbow up and let them wear a pride shirt every once in a while, but then still send them to Saudi Arabia to perform in front of the, you know, the, the crown prince. So it's, 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 we're not there yet. We're getting there. And I feel like as I get this popularity to grow, as I start to get back into wrestling and grow the fan base again, we have to keep pushing that until the shows feel entirely diverse and there's plenty of people doing that but there's plenty of people not doing that and especially at the level where you can make a lot of money in this business there's still a lot of people getting ignored right yeah well i, I love that you're putting your uh your boldness to good use in the sense of kind of just not giving a fuck about about the backlash in that regard and, and championing the people who need to be championed and not just because of your your one-off event but you know they they deserve to be in the ring because of the yeah, talent, yeah. Not because of the of the shtick of of that night. Um, you know it's great that they got that booking, but like you said, if you're not going to call them next month and the next month and the next month and just hit them up next year when you do the same event, that's then you're just using them as like a uh, as a you know like I said like a shtick as opposed to like a prop. Uh, yeah. You know it's it's a prop thing, and it's like. Hey, let me let's let's tell the world what's really going on here. But you know, it's it's odd because I found myself in this position where I was getting booked more because I was gay, but I was getting the return bookings because of my work as a performer. So to me, like getting booked one time says one thing, but like continuing to get booked somewhere and being flown out somewhere or being brought in somewhere and having them trust you enough to say put a championship put you in a major feud that's gonna need a finish, it's it's better than just having that one time affair. And so like, that's how I'm sort of measuring success now is, is the continuation. Is this, is this a one-off where you flew me out to, you know, Idaho, or is this something where we're going to do this throughout the year? I want those bookings. I want the bookings that, you know, you can trust that I'll be there and build the stories around that and keep doing it that way where I have the input and I'm not talking to TV executives and I'm not, taking lip from people who don't know how to get ratings because right now, do you know how many people watched professional wrestling last week? Oh, I couldn't even guess. On television? I'm going to I'm gonna put it together for you. So uh, Wednesday night, they did 700 rating for AEW. They did a 700 rating for NXT, so that's 1.4 million. And then Monday night was 1.4 million, I think. Jeez. Friday night was 2 million. So you can, you can add all those up and say, okay, about, you know, 5 million people watch wrestling. And then you can remember that in the heyday of the 90s, when shit was real rowdy, and I'm not saying it's better in the 90s, I'm saying let's look at our approach. And maybe it's just that cable is completely dead and nobody watches long-form media like that anymore on television with commercials. 
But you have to ask yourself, what, when we were at 9.0 ratings with millions and millions and millions of people watching, how did we fall so far? And some of it's because the product we put out in professional wrestling is the same product we saw in 1995. There's nothing new. We're not showing them anything new. We're still having cage matches. We're still having hardcore matches. We're still having six-minute exhibition TV matches. And at that independent level, we're not stuck in that box. And I think that's why we've had so much groundswell and so much success is because it is grassroots and it's also not something like what you expect. It's weirder. It's more violent. It's more fun. It's rowdier. Um, having that same look, you know, you can turn on a match on Raw from 2001. You can turn on a match from Raw from 2020. It will look almost identically shot, almost identically commentated, almost identically presented. Uh, but there's a lot of companies who are not following that anymore, and they're finding a lot of success. And that's how we rebuild wrestling. We have to make it. We have to get rid of that preconceived notion that people have of wrestling by not continuing to make wrestling look exactly the fucking same as it always has. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine that you and a lot of your peers are are actively working against that. Uh, you know, that regurgitation and and trying to keep it exciting, give it a new. A new twist and different. I mean, you're you're constantly thinking of different angles. I mean, I I prior to keeping up with you, I've never heard of any wrestling event event that was branded partly as a brunch. You know, like I mean, that alone. There's just a lot of like. I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but I just mean that. You know, when I think of it, you think of beer guzzling at night at the ring. You don't think of this like, of you know, switching up just the. Uh, just the environment and the and the vibe completely. Um, yeah, completely. And the motivation completely. I mean, like, the other night on Monday Night Raw, well, it wasn't the other night, it was a few months back. The other night, they had the five-person versus five-person tag team match. And it was five people from the TV show Raw, which is on Monday, and five people from the TV show on uh, Friday, which is SmackDown. And they had to cut promotions about why they cared about this match. That's what the promos were. And they just kept saying, we will be the brand that is supreme. We will be the supreme brand. Who the fuck gives a fuck who the supreme brand is? Learn how to tell stories. This is the laziest, most potent bullshit. Characters can have depth. Characters can have personal issues. Characters can fight it out over things that are not brand supremacy. No person has ever felt a connection to brand supremacy, and you're trying to get people to get behind your superstars. They need to be showing emotion they need to be showing character and telling someone that you want your brand to be supreme is like borderline some white nationalist bullshit and it sounds crazy and the fact that wrestling has fallen into that cliche path of itself at the highest level now we're all looking at each other going i don't think that's the goal anymore it used to only be the goal but now we're going i don't think i'd even go there a lot of us are, and that's crazy to think that the you know the biggest wrestling company in the world there's a desire not to work there right now because of a lot of reasons, be it creative or human capital or whatever the problems may be, uh, blood money. It's it's a new dawn, and we're going to change it. That's incredible, man. Yeah, I, I love hearing hearing how uh, how motivated you are to to keep that as a big part of your agenda as far as your wrestling career is concerned um man i I was thinking about something earlier and it's a little bit i wouldn't say off topic but just a a a little bit of a shift of gears but 
you know, I, there's like this performance art side to what you guys are doing out there too. Like, obviously, there's this huge amount of athleticism, but a big part of it is like the storytelling, like you said, and the and the performance art. And I can't help but think about the extreme opposite end of uh, so you know someone like yourself is this this blend of athleticism and the performance side, but then. When you think about like Andy Kaufman wrestling, no wrestling talent at all. It's all performance art. Like where does right. when as a wrestler, can you view someone like Andy Kaufman as uh like where where does that where does he fall in that in that uh in that categorization? Because I mean, is, well, do you, you, you still consider him perfect. even though he's it's part of a obviously it's a performance art piece, but like. Is his zero actual wrestling talent all performance art side valid as a as a form of wrestling if he's okay with branding himself that way? Yes, it absolutely is. And I'll kind of go like you say, well, you know, why would I want to work with some un guy who can't do anything, this and this? But think about how many new eyes Andy Kaufman brought to wrestling. Right. I always kind of joke like I'm a big fan of technical wrestling. Really like grapple stronghold, old Greco-Roman, catch-as-catch-can wrestling. It's done a lot in Britain. It's done some in Japan. Low down, barely even bumping, barely punching, not the big electric moves, but I doubt I could get anybody in the room just to see that. I don't think I could sell you on that with the excitement. But if I tell you that, oh man, the guy from Taxi is going to be fighting Jerry the King Law in Memphis, you're like, what the fuck? And then you get inside and that stuff is entertaining, but you also get to see the other stuff. So I think really like what is valid in pro wrestling is what sells a ticket at this point. And that is going to piss some people off. Um, As a a show, my match might only be 10 or 15 minutes, but the show is three hours long. I might bring people in the door to see me, but they're going to the rest of the show. You may disagree with me not taking some things as seriously as you, or me not, you know, doing 10 minutes of grapple holds in my match, but I really enjoyed yours. But the fact is, like, we have to get people in here. What pays the bills, building for the wrestlers, for everybody, is tens and attendance, and everything's so sacred. Look, looking at Andy Kaufman and saying, okay, you know, he's not the greatest technical wrestler. He's not even that well-trained but seeing how many more people he brought to the business, I can't think of many people who are extremely gifted grapplers who can't cut a promo and who can't have the exciting introduction and who can't necessarily hold their own as a character but are very good at wrestling. They're doing a lot less for the business than someone who is actively bringing people in. We have to be able to pay the bills. People have to want to buy a ticket. And if they buy the ticket for Andy Kaufman and saw your match, well, good. You're not a draw, but you got your product seen by more people because they were already there. So be excited for that. I got in a fight with a guy on who was saying, I do a, I did a spot. I did a match with a guy where we were like, let's just outsex each other for 20 minutes. <laughs> and we both agreed to it. It was the silliest fucking match. People loved it because the rest of that show was so hardcore. And so sometimes having that difference is, is tight. So this guy who used to work for WCW saw it. And it was me like humping the guy's face in the corner. He was like, I would never sell this stupid shit. And it pissed me off because, number one, you'd never be booked on the same show as me. No one wants to book you. And number two, which I told him, the only reason anybody ever saw you wrestle was because they were waiting to see Hulk Hogan. Nobody ever paid one time to see you wrestle. Not ever, not once, have they paid money to see you wrestle. Your biggest moments were because someone else was on the card. 
And that's why they came in. So good. I'm glad you don't want to sell my moves, but people actually pay to see me. And that's something that you can't say. And so it sounds really boisterous and braggy, but like at a certain point, having wrestlers tell you what is in power when they can't even draw themselves or can't even do well themselves, you're sort of like, dude, grow up, get a grip. You're done. This, the story I was going to lead into is like talking about the, the valid part of wrestling there was a show in Georgia a few years back, and they booked Honey Boo Boo to walk to the ring and slap someone. Whoa. And they advertised, Honey Boo Boo's going to be here. And there were probably 12 different matches on that card. There were probably 30 wrestlers booked on that show. Nobody paid to see a single one of them. They watched all their matches. They got to learn about these wrestlers. They got to see them. But the reason 2,000 people showed up to a shitty Georgia fucking warehouse was to see Honey Boo Boo. And so... They all got paid to wrestle that day because of Honey Boo Boo. Yeah. She was just as much a part of their show as, as they were, if not more so. So anybody who's saying, like, my wrestling is sacred and wrestling is this and wrestling is not this, show me what you're pulling. Show me what you're drawing. Because at the end of the day, like, unfortunately, we still measure our success. And right now, like, your wrestling isn't doing well. And you may love your wrestling, and that's great, but blocking the world off from accessing wrestling because you think it should be a certain way is so dumb and they will stop coming to you altogether. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of have to have that, that willingness to, to kind of go with the flow. And if, if, if it adds to the show and it brings more asses in the door, like go for it, especially if it's not something that's, uh, that you're, you know, unless it's like some figure that you just don't want to, involve and give a cut basically you know like some of the guys yeah. that have talked to you and or give you well, grief there's like, a yeah, big don't controversy look them right if now avoid. there's a seeming big controversy right now about and i guess it's already sort of been there uh, about guys doing too much like staged combat dancing where like you can tell they've worked on these sequences together and it includes a lot of flips it's extremely fast it's not necessarily like they're going for the throat but they're testing each other's athletic skills in that way usually to begin a match and so they really try to put together these sequences that are kind of mind-bending, the back and forth, the in and out, the running. And people really get mad at that. But I think it's the greatest thing of all time. Could I do it? No, not like they could. I couldn't move like that. But I don't need to because that is a part of the circus on this show. And if you think that part of the circus isn't important, let me tell you, your stupid match where you work a chokehold for 10 minutes is not going to have any value if you don't have some cool stuff on the show, too. And you've got to have some guys flipping around. You've got to have some people to make you laugh. You've got to have some badasses that people are scared of. And it's like to, to present that full spectrum of entertainment and human emotion, you may not be the wrestler like me, but we do need each other. And we both have a valid place here. And there's nothing you're doing. If it's not what I like, good. Because if it's all what I like, the whole damn show is going to be the exact same thing. Right. Yeah, you want it to be not tailor-made just to to your taste but something that gets you know every like you were saying before a lot of the bookings are probably thinking about how do we have a little bit of something for everybody who's here so that that's how you get repeat uh audience members right people who who uh you know yeah. somebody came there and come back. It, it worked for them and it worked for all you know on different levels for well, different people that's how i you think get about a quote from mark Marin. I love Mark Marin so much, but this is the only quote that ever like gets stuck in my head. And he says, if I can laugh really hard, genuinely laugh one time going to pay to see a movie for $20, it was worth that money. 
And we've got people coming in and we're offering them this full selection of different emotions, whether it be fear, whether it be, you know, feeling, feeling sympathy for someone in the ring, whether it be laughing, whatever it may be, we're trying to give you that little bit so you can say it was worth it for me to walk in here. Even if it was just for that, even if it was just for that one little thing, we want them to say it was worth it and come back. And so you kind of have to keep that mentality of like, we have to put out genuine product or they will not come back. It has to be good or they will not come back. We have to at least try a little bit and we're going to get them to genuinely laugh or at least enjoy themselves. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely the way you want to think about it. Uh, it's funny that you brought up Mark Marin because I was uh, debating whether or not to ask you if you'd uh, spent any time watching the, the Glow Netflix series. Um, I loved it. I don't know if it's at all representative of i mean uh, you know obviously it's a different area of wrestling um but uh yeah have you have you had a chance to, to watch any of that does do you feel like there's that it misses the, the mark on any of it or if it's you know accurate in ways yeah i've seen the first uh two seasons so i'm a little behind on things but i will say like the way they highlighted how messy the backstage stuff can be compared to what the product is is very very true i mean the show's always changing, figuring out things, figuring out who's going to wrestle, who's not going to wrestle, what are we doing? All that stuff felt very real. And I also, like, I really admire that show because uh, Chavo Guerrero, who was a pretty famous wrestler throughout the 90s, 2000s, uh, helped them with all the real wrestling training. So these Hollywood actresses took the time to actually get trained to wrestle like professionals. And that, to me, makes the show really good because, like, if they were just actresses messing around and they had their little stunt girls come in, it wouldn't feel real. It wouldn't feel normal. But, like, seeing them in action and seeing them take it seriously and seeing the steps they take, it as a professional who knows these things, it's very rewarding. And it's like, you may watch it and just like it for the drama, but, like, I watch it and I do really enjoy seeing that they are using real wrestling and not just, it's a wrestling show and then there's a couple cat slaps and, a you know, a loose-ass press. It's real wrestling. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I I feel like the probably makes the filming experience a little bit uh, more nuanced and and just memorable for all of the cast. You know, I mean, it's much different than a normal day on set if you're learning how to do wrestling moves. Um, but yeah, I th- I thought yeah, it was yeah. a, a really entertaining watch, man. I, I'm I'm glad that you've uh, enjoyed that series as well. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I guess, you know, I think that just about covers what I was, was hoping to touch on with you today, man. I mean, I, uh, I'd love it if you could, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm keeping tabs on you, and, and you do a really great job of promoting what you're doing, so I feel like I'll probably catch it if you're coming this way. But if you think about it, and you're playing, you know, a short drive from, or, you know, if you're doing a show, a short drive from Columbia, let me know, man, because... I don't know that I've ever experienced live wrestling, and I feel like that's a shame. I'd like to change that, uh, and I can't think of a better way to do it than than experiencing one of your shows. Definitely, and I think when you see it live, you'll 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 get it. And I mean, there's there's wrestling happening right around the corner. I'm going to give a few places in Columbia that once we get back running, I'll try to head into. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about wrestling. I'm excited to get back to a little bit of normal, but I want safety first too. You know. Yeah. I've had fun going back on Twitch and just getting to watch my matches with other people and do my own commentary on them and stuff. That's been pretty wild. Well, I'm excited to see what you do when you when you're able to get back to it. And I guess uh, so. So, what was the the show that you have coming up in June? Just so we can kind of plug it. Yeah. So on June 20th, I'm doing a a show in a state park in Indiana. 
near Indianapolis. I think they're only allowing like 300 people in the state park. It's very, it's a, it's a small event and we're going to make the best of it. We're trying things out. The guy who runs this company is a genius though. And the reason a lot of people are in WWE today or in GCW, I mean, are in AEW today or because of his brand or because of GCW, he has an eye for talent that is not your regular eye. He's not just looking out for every white dude with an eight pack. He's looking for entertainers and his shows, his shows are always a blowout. There'll probably be a little, a little death match action too, if I had to guess. Oh yeah, man. Well, thanks for plugging that man. And dude, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I know it's been forever since uh, we've been in the same you know, probably even just in the same town, we've kind of. Done I know, it. but uh, it's good to connect with you. I mean, I feel like we should have had some conversations back in college and gotten to know each other. Well, missed opportunity, but uh, okay, we're still alive. We're still here. The circle exactly, is not man. closed. Better, better late than never, man. So I'm glad to be able to build this friendship a little more and talk to you today, man. Plus, I'm less drunk now. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was, I was. Those were back in my 40, 40 ounce days. Oh. Um. You know, things are a little different now. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, let me know when you're coming through. I'd love to hang and, uh, and get a beer and see, uh, see you do your thing, man. You, you've, you've kind of blossomed into this, like, incredibly powerful character that I, I'm inspired by in a lot of ways. I mean, your work ethic and your, the, the amount of thoughtful merchandising you do. And, I mean, you just, you know how to make it yeah, work. so and, much merchandising. <laughs> yeah, I started man. merchandising my dog, and that's gone incredibly well. Dude, I have done the exact same thing. My dog's on half of the band's merch, and we always sell yeah. more if he's on it than if he's not, basically. so um, Isn't that beautiful? We love our doggies. I know. Some, sometimes I feel like we're profiting off of them, and, and, and we should be, hey, should they be get getting treats. a kickback. Exactly. We got to get the, anytime you think about getting a toy or a treat for them, just go for it. They've earned it. Um, They've earned it, 100%. Well, cool. Well, it's been great talking to you. I'll let you go, but yeah, hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah, let me know Let me know when this is up. We'll get some promo on it. Hell yeah, I'll send it your way. Thanks, dude. Have fun. All right, see ya. This has been a Comfort Monk production.